Amazingly, it's Tuesday again. So welcome back, Mona. How are you? I am almost entirely better. Good oh, that to is see wonderful. you. There's some nasty stuff going around, though. Oh, my gosh. This is like, I, I wish I had a name for this virus because I wanted to be able to complain that I have this thing with a name. But instead, I just had this horrible thing. But anyway, I love what's over your shoulder. <laughs> I see my book. <laughs> yes, I want to point out for anyone watching, yes, sex matters. See, now, if I actually had this when I did an MSNBC hit, all they would see is the big word sex. So <laughs> I would I would get a lot of questions about it. And then I would say, well, that's Mona Charon's book, Sex Matters, which, of course, it does. So, <laughs> you know, there's so much stuff to talk about. We haven't talked since George Santos was expelled. I'm already kind of having a little bit of withdrawal. You yeah, know, we won't have George Sandoz to kick around, but there's always somebody else that's going to step up, right? In this party, there's yeah. yeah. Well, like, let's spend a second, you know, like having a little memorial moment here for the departed George Santos. Actually, he hasn't quite departed, has he? But uh, but he will. He's soon. out. He's gone. I mean, they changed the locks on his door. You know. Did they change the locks and everything? Oh, well, yeah, anyway. he's. Yeah. Okay. That was an immediate escort you from the building with the box of your future endeavors or whatever. <laughs> oh, that's so, it's it's rich. Yeah. It's lovely. But I, you know, do think it is also an illustration of, so he he tried to do everything according to the Trump playbook. Yeah. Right? Which is first you lie, then you deny that you lied, you cheat, you deny that you cheated, you present yourself as the victim of a witch hunt. I mean, he followed the playbook exactly. And as we've seen with certain other characters, like Madison Cawthorn, you know, there are a few out there who have tried to do, you know, the I'm a bad guy and I'm going to get away with it shtick by framing it as I'm the victim and it doesn't work for everybody, you know? He was perhaps a tad too flamboyant. I mean, he yeah. got the idea, you go for the show <laughs> and you do all of this stuff, but there was, you know, Madison, I actually wrote this yesterday that, you know, I haven't been thinking about Madison Cawthorn lately because, you know, it's just a reminder of how quickly you can go from celebrity to obscurity in politics. Yeah. I mean, it's like, no one's ever going to talk about Madison Cawthorn. And George Sandoz, though, I can imagine a, a book about our times that starts off with, you know, this was a guy that was actually elected to Congress, was actually a thing for a while. Yeah. I just think the problem was that his corruption was just too out there. I mean, it's not that, that what, what is the word I'm lo- looking for? I mean, beyond flamboyant. It's like, it, it's one thing to be a total grifter. It's another thing to like, you know, spend lots of money at Sephora. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know. Yeah. And, um, and he clearly violated the law. So that got him into trouble. And um, I don't know. I mean, it is it is a matter of him being so outlandish. And also there was a political motivation here on the part of other Republicans in the state of New York who are They very didn't want to be associated about, with him, right? Exactly. Their own seats and they're in sort of purplish districts. I mean, so much of what's wrong with our society is or at least polit- our political culture is that we have these safe districts, red and blue. And if you're if you're in a safe district, there's almost no accountability for anything because your constituency is so faithful. But if you're in a borderline district, there is accountability. And he was in a borderline district. And so they didn't want to be, you know, ads saying, you know, you're the party of George Santos. Yep. Apparently it's okay to be the party of 
Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates and everything. Yeah. So it's not like they've suddenly woken up and had standards. I mean, this is the kind of the funny thing about the Republican Party. Like, we can't have this liar, fraudster, grifter in our party. You know, and each and every one of them is going to turn around in the next 12 months and totally embrace Donald Trump. So it's embrace like Donald Trump. Dis- That's true. Slight, slight discontent. OK, so two random thoughts about it because I'm really struggling against being serious about George Santos in any way. But it is a reminder, though, of the failure of vetting that that man even got into Congress. Uh, You know, I don't think we talk enough about the collapse of local media and the implications of that. You know, the the way that local newspapers and local reporters used to do reporting and do background. And apparently one very, very small, obscure publication like knew that he was a complete fraud and everybody dropped the ball. So that's a big media failure. Number two, I do not know what the Democratic oppo research is. I'm not blaming the Democrats for George Santos, but I mean, like, how does a guy like that get into Congress in the first place? So I... Maybe not the most important point to make here, but... No, those actually are important points because... There's something to be said here about the way we cover politics in general, which is, this has always been a criticism, but honestly, Charlie, uh, tell me what you think. I think it's only gotten worse. This aspect of they're only reporting the horse race. They're only saying who's ahead, who's not, who's happy, who's not. And they don't report the substance of what these people are proposing and what they stand for and who they are. And, you know, and so... That is a real failure of journalism here. But it's it's not just a failure. You're right. I mean, actually, now we've kind of stumbled onto an important point here because I, I retweeted something from Catherine Rempel, who's a columnist for The Washington Post, who said, hey, here's just a tip to uh, political reporters. Maybe focus less on the horse race and more on what they would actually do in office. Yeah. You particularly think? in 2024, you know, it's like if you apply the old standards of like, is Trump up or is he down? What is yeah. going as opposed to wait? The guy is talking about killing and jailing his political opponents. He is saying these things. And again, there is some focus on it, but the default setting is to go back to kind of the the normal sort of horse race uh, political coverage, which seems totally inappropriate. It's inappropriate. And it's also, it plays into the hands of somebody like Trump, who loved, you know, in 2016, all he would talk about, you know, for long stretches was his poll ratings. And the press would oblige by, you know, focusing on the polling. That's right. Actually, here's something else. I wanted to bounce off you since we're off on on tangents. I have several tangents to go off on here today. So I am deeply impressed. And I want to say I'm deeply impressed by what The Atlantic has done, devoting its entire January, February issue to if Trump gets elected again. It is all about, and it's 24 writers writing 24 separate articles about the implications of a Trump term. This is like really important journalism. It's an historic document. I mean, people should go out and get it. The New York Times also has a long piece, you know, Maggie Haberman, Charlie Savage, and Jonathan Swan, you know, how dangerous Trump would be. We've written about this a lot. And by the way, what an impressive job Jeffrey Goldberg continues to do with The Atlantic. I mean, this is an example of editorial leadership. Instead of sort of sitting around and going, hey, you know, what could we write about? It's like, hey, let's be very purposeful about this. And let's be the place that makes Mm -hmm. the warning. On the other hand, have you seen Greg Sargent's column in The Washington Post today? No. I'm thinking of writing about it because I am into, as you know, into the, hey, you are not sufficiently alarmed camp. 
I know, and I, that's what I wrote on, on Friday. JVL has a big piece, you know, there's a storm coming. And I think this is important to do all this stuff. But he writes, okay, enough with the fatalism about a Trump dictatorship. And I think he makes a distinction between being alarmed and despairing, you know, being alarmed and like, hey, this is dangerous versus, oh my God, we're all going to die. That sort of, you know, Eeyore shtick. And he writes about, you know, how it's dangerous. He said, you know, look, the extreme pessimism is understandable. You know, all the things that are going on, the polls. And then he, you know, argues, and it's a caution about the impulse to sound alarms. So the impulse to sound alarms to break voters out of their can't-happen-here doldrums, their complacency, is understandable. But it is also possible, he writes, to take this too far. And here it's worth registering an irony. Ruth Ben-Jiat, a scholar of strongman rule, has noted that a time-tested tactic of authoritarian leaders is to disarm the electorate by suggesting that their glorious triumph is inevitable. Authoritarians create a climate where they seem unstoppable, she told me. Creating an aura of destiny around the leader galvanizes his supporters by making his movement seem much stronger than it actually is. The manipulation of perception is everything. The aim is to hypnotize voters into forgetting the power and the numbers they possess, persuading them that politics is a hopelessly sordid and disappointing exercise, but that is not the story of the Trump years. So he's basically saying that, okay, be alarmed, but if you despair, you are giving you know, the authoritarians exactly what they want, which is to feel discouraged, to feel that it's hopeless. I think that's that's an important distinction. Sound the alarm, but do not despair. To listen to the rest of this episode of Just Between Us, become a Bulwark Plus member today. 